Hey everyone, Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Hey, everybody. If you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com slash stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Hey, everybody out there in the Pacific Northwest or with access to an airport or a car rental place that can get you to the Pacific Northwest, specifically at the end of January. We'll see you in Seattle, Portland and San Francisco. That's right. Our new live show for 2024, Seattle, Washington, January 24th at the Paramount Theater, then Portland at our home away from home at Revolution Hall on the 25th, and then winding it all up at Sketchfest on the 26th at the Sydney Goldstein Theater. Very nice. If you want tickets, if you want information, if you want tickets, you can go to a couple of places. You can go to our link tree at linktree slash SYSK, and you can go to our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Click on the tour button and it'll take you to all of the beautiful places you can go to buy your tickets. And we'll see you guys in January. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the Slowcast. I'm Josh and there's Chuck and Jerry's here too. We're just inching along, doing things our own way, our own speed, our own time leaving a trail of mucus behind us as we do. Wow. In- inching along uh, 0.5 inches per second. Yeah. It's like Roughly. that one guy said, life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long, <laughs> covering only an inch. Was that the parenthetical of that title? Yeah. It was, it was like, you had to read between the lines. Yeah, exactly. What a great song. Or play it backwards that song you think's great <laughs> yeah i do i do if you take away all the bleh, 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 it's actually a great song it's very <laughs> upbeat and enthusiastic and very um it's just a good song who was that i i don't remember i think that might have been his only song although now that i've said that i'm sure he's a huge sensation in canada or something and now everybody's gonna right. be mad at us <laughs> yeah that happens a lot we'll find out but anyway uh whoever you are out there who made that song if you're listening Breton cap off to you. That's right. Uh, Chuck, I picked this one. Uh, he is Canadian, by the way. <laughs> I knew it, dude. I knew How does it. that always happen? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. What's his name? Tom Cochran. I wanted to say Tom, but I wanted to say Tom Brokaw, and I was like, I'm not even going to bring that up. And you know what? He's in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. Oh, my God. Sorry, All right. Tom. So, so much for that. Okay. Uh, at any rate... Um, Hats off Tom Cochran, I think, is what I was trying to say, right? Mm-hmm. So we're doing an episode on snails, which I'm kind of psyched about. Um, our new good friend Allison helped us with this one. I believe this is her second one. She's doing great. Yeah. Was this a, a, a listener recommendation? No, this was a Josh recommendation. Okay. I didn't know if this was, you know, we did some stuff recently with uh, uh, kids in the classroom, like little virtual appearance appearances for our, our book. Stuff kids should know. Uh-huh. And I know we got a lot of ideas, and just I, for some reason I thought snails might have been one of those. Not a single one of those kids came up with the idea of snails. It was really sad. Kids these days, they don't even know what snails are. <laughs> snails, that was, that was my pick, and I'm not sure where it came from. I think I just pulled it out of my head. But I'm glad mm-hmm. I did, because this is one of those things where, I mean, snails are everywhere. Everyone knows what a snail is. Um mm-hmm. It, like, it's just a part of living on Earth. You know about snails. And yeah. yet, what Allison turned up, and I wasn't aware of when I selected this, there's actually a bit of a dearth of information, academic information, on snails specifically, and that a lot of what we think we know about them is actually just, like, 
old yarns that gardeners have come up with over the years. So I love topics like that. And actually, from researching this, I've come to actually really appreciate snails. Like, I actually kind of think they're cute now, just from watching them in some videos. Well, I looked up a picture of the, uh, and we'll talk about these in a little more detail later, but that giant African snail. Mm -hmm. And there was one picture of a woman holding one of these things. Yeah. And I... I swear it looked like a bunny rabbit with a a turtle shell. Weird. No, I've not seen that picture. It, it looked like a bunny. I mean, <clears throat> it's a snail, clearly. It didn't look that much like a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I wasn't like, what in the world? Maybe it was eating uh, a bunny. Is that what it was? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, but you were right. Allison was keen to point out that uh, malacology, which is someone who studies mollusks, is mm -hmm. just – I guess there's just not a ton of those people out there. So there just tend to be more people studying, you know, furry or cuter things than snails, I guess. Right, exactly. And even if you do have a lot of uh, malacologists, they're studying mollusks and, and snails just make up part of one class of a larger oh, yeah. phylum of mollusca. They're part Good of point. gastropoda. And it's not just snails and gastropoda. We're talking slugs, sea slugs, conchs. Uh, whelks, limpets, basically all snail-like creatures are in the gastropoda um, class. So they're gastropods? Yeah, or gastropods. Okay. I didn't know how that was pronounced, so. It's got to be gastropod, right? I mean, I think it's gastropod, but would it be gastropoda? No. Or is it one of those weird things that just flips when you shorten it? It's that second thing. Okay. <laughs> Great. So I said also, Chuck, just living on Earth, you're aware of snails, and there's a reason for that. They've been around for a really, really long time. They are everywhere, and you can, even if you're walking around Antarctica and you look down on the ground, you might see a snail waving up to you, wearing a parka. Yeah, and even if, uh, you know, snails, as we will find out, love moisture, mm -hmm. uh, even if you're in the desert, even if you're in Arizona— Living there in Phoenix, you right. might see a snail yeah. because there's still random water here and there. Yeah, plus also some of them have evolved to like really <clears throat> hang on to their water better than other times so they can survive in the desert. It's it's just nuts. They're everywhere. As a matter of fact, they think that they, um, there's about 150,000 gastropod species in total. Remember, that includes slugs and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. they think snail species are between 30,000 and 35,000. And, I mean, you know, we think of snails as typically a, like the little garden snail, mm -hmm. maybe the escargot snail. I think that's the Roman snail, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but there are all sorts of snails. You mentioned the, the um, giant African land snail. Those things get, I saw that they get to be about the size of a human fist or bigger. That's a big snail. But on the other end, there's another type of snail that they recently discovered in, I think, Vietnam and Cambodia on the walls of caves. And they can fit inside like a grain of sand. They're that small. But if you look at them under a microscope, they are very clearly snails. Yeah. Uh, I saw about 500 native species to North America. Mm -hmm. And we're generally going to be talking about, you know, sort of your average land snail. But uh, there are snails that live exclusively in the water under the sea. Uh, it would, you know, there's just no way we could talk about all the snails. So we're going to mainly concentrate on the kind that leave that mucusy trail on the sidewalk. Right. Like we could probably get through 34,000 species today, but right. definitely not 35,000. <laughs> that's right. So we're not going to try. Okay. So um, the other thing that's kind of like a, a bummer about snail species is that as long as we've been scientifically paying attention to snails, we've recorded more than 400 extinctions of snail yeah. species. And um, there's a, uh, a an Atlantic short documentary. I think it's like 12 minutes long. I think it's called Goodbye Snails. And it's set in Hawaii where they're, um, they're experiencing this crazy mass extinction of their native snail species that exist nowhere else in the world. Um, and it's a really kind of a tense little documentary, but the people who are trying to rescue these snail species and prevent them from extinction are really doing some amazing work over there. 
Yeah, there's about a thousand of them that are uh, land snails alone that are endangered right now. So that's uh, that's a lot of species to be in trouble. So that's that's no good because uh, as we will see, they can there can be invasive snails and they can do some harm to the garden, but they also do a lot of great things for your garden and for the world. Yeah, leave the snails alone. <laughs> you ever eat them? I have like once or twice. I'm not crazy about them. No, they're not. I'm not an escargot fan. I'm a fan of that escargot joke, though. Right. <laughs> Which is, uh, uh, look at that escargot. What is that what it was? Uh, a, a snail painted an S on the side of his car. That's right. That's a great elementary school kid joke. Yep. That's wonderful. Uh, I was um, trying to remember if I've ever, I feel like I might have tried it one time many, many, many years ago because I do remember seeing snails floating in a buttery solution on a plate. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a little uh, tiny tong involved. But I really have a very, very faint memory. So if I did try it, I don't know under what circumstance it was, but it was a long time ago. And it's, it's not something I'd really be into now. They even have like a specialized plate for serving them. And it basically doubles as like a deviled egg serving plate too. It's like, you know, got a bunch of depressions in it that the snails sit in. Right. <laughs> I'd rather have a deviled egg. Uh, you can also eat snail eggs. Uh, they call it white caviar. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's a thing. There's, uh, I think it's like uh, 130 bucks for about 1.75 ounces. Wow. Wow. Well, that's a lot of snail eggs now that I think about it. Yeah, it seems like it. it I mean, it looks like it comes in a little tin like caviar. Mm-hmm. But um, although I do love caviar now, I don't think I would try snail caviar. Okay. Okay. I'll accept <laughs> that answer. <laughs> and I'm new, I know I've talked about it. I'm newish to caviar just the past couple of years. So uh-huh. it wasn't something I ever had until uh, semi-recently. But now you have it at dinner every night. <laughs> I just... You've heard of avocado toast? Every morning I just have caviar toast. Spread it all over the biggest piece of sourdough I can. With gold flakes on top. Uh, All right. Should we talk about the body of a snail? Yeah, I feel like we kind of have to because there's a lot of misconceptions people have about snails, including me, as far as their body goes. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about their shell for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have that. Well, we'll talk about the shell kind of throughout. It's obviously... Um, a, a protective device. A uh, snail can pull themselves back into that shell, mm-hmm. and uh, they can actually uh, put a little, uh, I think it's called an uh, ep- epigram, uh, and that is like a, it's like a front door, basically. It's a temporary front door mm-hmm. that they can put on the whole of that shell. So if you ever pick up a snail shell and it and it's covered with something, mm-hmm. that is a, a temporary front door that a snail uses to keep people like you from poking around into that snail shell. Yeah, and I saw that some of them have denticles on there, like like sharp kind of tooth-like projections, so that if a predator tries to come in there after them, they'll get all torn up. Oh, on the epigram? Yeah, it's like those reverse um, tire damage things at like a car rental parking lot. It's all like right. that from what I understand. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And it also keeps them uh, moist because uh, what a snail does not want to do is dry out because, once again, a snail is basically a slug with a helmet on. Right. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the misconceptions of how the snail body is arranged, if we can. Let's do it. Inside that shell is the actual body of the snail. What we yes. see as the head and the, and the tail is actually the head, true, But what looks like the tail is actually like the heel of its foot. That's what it's moving around on is its foot, right? A single foot. Exactly. And so above on top of that foot is the whole body and all that is encased in the shell. And what's weird is there's one opening that the, what did you say covers the opening? I think it's called an epigram. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I've been saying epigram. Epiphram, epiphram, as in diaphragm. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So what the epiphram covers is called the aperture. And on land snails, there's one aperture. There's one way in, one way out. And because all of their body is tucked up in the shell, they've still got to poop. They've still got to breathe. They still have to do all the stuff that requires the outside atmosphere 
Um, and so what they've done is they've f- figured out how to double their bodies around so that their head and their tail, including their anus, are basically right next to one another at the aperture, at the opening of their shell. Yeah, kind of like on top of their head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something called torsion, uh, which means to twist. You know, if you've heard of something, you've heard of torsion before probably. Yeah, Chubby Checker was going to call his dance the torsion, and he's like, it just doesn't have the right <laughs> ring. Let's do the torsion. <laughs> right. And a traveler from the future came back in time and um, told him, no, we should, we should call this the twist, rocked out the high school dance, and that was history. That's pretty good. Did you did you think of that one beforehand? No. Oh, okay. No, I didn't. I've, I've just gotten that good this late in the year. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that body basically doubles back 180 degrees on top of itself. And there's a lot of debate. Uh, I mean, should we get into that? The, like the, the, the great torsion debate? Yeah, I th- we can at least touch on it. Sure. It's almost yeah. impenetrable if you're not a malacologist. Yeah, I would say so. So as far as when torsion emerged, they're not exactly sure uh, because you can't tell from like a fossil whether or not, a, you know, you can find a, a, a fossil of a shell, mm-hmm. but the torsion is happening within the shell. So you can't really tell if it's been uh, torsioned. Is that even a verb? I don't or know. Tor- torted? I was going to say torted. I didn't look it up, though. So I think torted, right? Let's say torted. Yeah, I think it's torted. So you can't really tell if it's been torted by looking at a fossil. Mm-hmm. And so there's just been a lot of debate. Like, obviously, this happened for a reason. Uh, no one knows exactly what that was. And like you mentioned at the beginning, some of the sort of old farmer's tales, one of those is you might hear some some gardening people say, oh, well, actually, uh, their asymmetry inside that shell provides balance. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. No. No, that's definitely not. Um, there's also uh, one that back in the day when they were all marine animals, because mm-hmm. land snails evolved from marine aquatic snails, um, that it was a way to keep their uh, their hindquarters, their tails, all that stuff from being bitten by a predator. Probably, that one makes sense. It does make sense. It's probably not it. What the two biggest competing hypotheses are, the rotation hypothesis and the asymmetrical hypothesis. And the, the rotational hypothesis, the one that's been around since like 1929, and it basically says that at some point in the past, um, the, uh, the, the snail, some snail mutant came along and twisted around during its development, and it became naturally selected because it was advantageous because it allowed the snail to retract its head faster. Whereas before right. it would have had to retract the tail and then the head. Now it could retract the, the head because it's all it had to retract. Um, yeah, but that was just like a spontaneous thing, right? That's what, that's what they think. But it's yeah. just such a bizarre thing to have happen, especially in a single mutation. Because, again, what we're talking about is during the larval development, a snail's body, it, it, count, it moves counterclockwise to 180 degrees and so its circulatory and nervous system forms a figure eight inside the shell. It's not yeah. all just packed in there straight. It's all over the place. And because of that weird torsion thing, the entire right side of its anatomy, including its organs, are just not there. It's all yeah. left side organ stuff. It all just got moved over toward the inside of the shell because the right side is pressed up against the, the, the shell itself. And it's all because of torsion, and they just cannot figure out why that that would have happened in the past and clearly it could have happened as a as a like a mutation it obviously mm. did but why would it have been naturally selected for for hundreds of millions of years which strongly implies that it was like an advantageous mutation yeah i would think so right yeah so that's kind of like this debate that's going on that that is i mean you really have to understand snail anatomy and evolutionary history to to go much further in in understanding that debate that's pretty much what i could glean from the whole thing yeah and i would say hesitate even getting into that debate if you if you've had a couple of drinks at the bar <laughs> yeah. and you're feeling a little squirrely uh-huh. and you want to dive into this hot conversation yeah i would steer clear just take a break mm-hmm. have another drink mm-hmm. and just relax yeah or maybe it's time for you to go home <laughs> yeah, get a yeah. get a car to take you home or walk or or whatever. Yeah. So that's Just be the very thing. careful. Snails tort 
And we're not sure exactly why, but what we do know, the upshot of it is that their body is double back on itself and their, their anus and their head are essentially right next to each other. Yes, exactly. Uh, they also have a mouth, and inside that mouth is something called a radula. Uh, it's a, it has teeth on it, and it's, like it's kind of like a tongue. And uh, they have, you know, if you look at a snail and they turn those two little tentacles to look back at you, mm-hmm. that's because they have eyes mounted on either one or two pairs of tentacles, and uh, they can look at you. They, they can't hear you. They don't have ears. Uh, from what I saw, snails are, are basically deaf. Uh, but they can see you. Yeah, they can see you. And depending on the species, there's different types of eyes. Some have very simple eyes where they can detect changes in light and dark or maybe, maybe movement. But there's some kinds, I think, um, that have the ability to, 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 to see you, to focus on you. And because mm-hmm. they're on the ends of those stalks, they can retract the eyes themselves in the stalk and then the stalk into the head and then the head into the shell and then when they want to see if danger's gone, they can peek one of those stalks out from the shell awesome. and look around. Isn't that cool? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. I love it. Uh, and there's also the mantle, and the mantle will come up quite a bit. And the best I could figure is that mantle is that area around the rim of the shell that connects the foot and the head to the shell itself, right? Yeah, and it's also um, whatever holds all of our organs and guts in place, that membrane, is very analogous to uh, the mantle yeah. tissue of the of the snail because it holds all the organs in place, but it also does something really important. It secretes all of the stuff that eventually is built into the shell itself. That's right. So, um, are we at the shell part? Do you think? Uh, you know what? This is a good. We're twenty minutes in. I oh think we gosh. should take a break. Yeah, because that shell formation is quite a cliffhanger. Okay, and we'll be right back after this. everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website. Whether it's an online course or custom merch, Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee, or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, friends. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. Like, what are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood the best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Yeah, well, now it is, everybody, on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. 
So we promised to talk to you a little bit about the shell. Mm-hmm. Uh, a snail shell is beautiful. You should never, ever, ever uh, smash a snail shell or a snail because that's uh, animal cruelty and it's a terrible thing to do. So just don't do it. Right. Uh, but it is basically there's a little bit of protein in there, but it's mainly uh, something called calcium carbonate. Mm-hmm. And it is, like you said uh, earlier, secreted by that mantle tissue. And it, it builds up over time. It's uh, If you look at sort of the center part of that shell, that's the oldest part of the shell. Uh, you can tell a snail's age by how big that shell is. And that's also the hardest part of the shell because it's been around longer. So they just keep adding material along that outer edge little by little uh, as it expands outward. And that is why a like the, the outer edge of a snail shell will be uh, much more, you know, sort of breakable than the inside harder part. Mm, that makes sense. So the oldest part is the closest to the to the center. Yeah. Apparently also I didn't realize this. They're born with a tiny shell already attached. They just grow it over time by secreting starter, stuff. starter shell. Exactly. Isn't that cute? <laughs> yeah. They're born like so little tiny baby snails like that preformationism yeah. uh theory from our things we used to believe before the scientific method episode. That's right. So I also said, Chuck, the mantle holds the mantle tissue holds all the the important guts and stuff like that in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that snails breathe is through the mantle cavity. They have blood vessels in there, but they they breathe using kind of like a primitive. I don't want to say lung. I think that's kind of a stretch. But basically, they have an opening. That, it's that, called a lung. I've seen it called a lung in diagrams. Okay. So I've also seen it called a pneumostome. And it's essentially a breathing port that they can open and close using their muscles that takes in, takes in air and exhales air. But it's pretty neat. And it's right there next to their head, right there at the aperture where everything else that needs to be outside is. Yeah. And they can, if we're talking about uh, sea snails, like I said, we're not going to get too into them, but they can have similar... Uh, body parts in terms of breathing, or they can also have gills uh, kind of up front as well. Yeah. So one of the things snails are most famous for are uh, is their mucus, right? Yeah. Uh, that is apparently secreted by the foot. And as the foot moves along, it's just a series of muscles that just kind of propel as they ripple, uh, propel the snail along. But they lay down a trail of mucus that does a lot of different things. For one, it allows the snail to do some Spider-Man-esque moves, like just crawl right up the side of a building because it's yeah. very strong. It's glue-like. Yeah. But it, it can be. It's funny because it can be glue-like or act as a lubricant. Exactly. Which it, is pretty remarkable. Yeah. So, yeah, it also separates the snail from the rest of the world that it's running over. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it um it's strong like glue, but it also allows the snail to move smoothly, and it also protects the snail's body from sharp things that it might be crawling over, slowly crawling over. Um, And it also keeps the moisture locked inside, so much so that snail mucin, as we'll see, has been used for millennia as like kind of a skin thing. If you have very dry skin and you can get your hands on snail mucin or mucus, uh, it will cure your dry skin. Yeah. I mean, that's what keeps the, uh, I mean, that and other things is what keeps that snail moist. Mm -hmm. So, if it's if it's keeping the snail alive, then imagine what it can do for your crow's feet. Exactly. Uh, I don't think we said what it was actually made of. It's um, enzymes, peptides, proteins, uh, trace minerals, and it's it's pretty remarkable stuff. It's um you know the telltale sign is when you see that stuff on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. uh, and just the term snail trail itself. That sort of snotty, glistening, shiny snail trail is. Uh, you know, it's become sort of part of uh, the lexicon to, you know, as a stand in for other things at times. So, yeah, for sure. So um, one of the other things that the snail trail, the mucus trail does is it says, hey, sailor, come come this way. Right. (laughs) Because it's one way that snails find one another to mate, which is surprising that they mate because they're hermaphroditic. They both all snails or most species of land snails are equipped with both male and female sex organs. 
and, but, and when they come together to mate, um, it's, there's no telling who's who or who's doing what because in the end, both of them often come away with fertilized eggs. Yeah, I mean, to me, this section is uh, the most remarkable stuff about snails. How they reproduce is just amazing. Um, they are hermaphroditic because, and it just makes sense, mm-hmm. if you're moving 0.5 inches per second, mm-hmm. you would die out as a species if you, uh, if like a male had to search for a female or the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they basically just double their chances of finding somebody within the, you know, 10 feet or so that they're they're wandering around. Uh, I mean, they, they move more than that within a lifetime, obviously, but. You know, if it's that time of year, which is what, like autumn? Sure. Autumn and spring. Autumn and spring. They're going to wander around. Uh, They're going to find another snail. Uh, They're going to dance around each other. And that just means very slowly circle each other for, I saw four to six hours. Uh, I saw the whole thing can take up to 12 hours. Uh, it's a very, obviously, as you would imagine, a very slow process. It is slow, but it's really involved. Like, they are really into it while they're they're going at it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're and this is before they're going at it. This is when they're just sort of, like, sizing each other up. Mm-hmm. They're getting they're, steamed. They're touching tentacles. Mm-hmm. They're biting each other's lips. Mm-hmm. Things are getting really pretty hot and heavy in there. And then they have something that is amazing. And I don't know of any other animal that has something like this. Uh, they have something called a, a love, what they call a love dart. Mm-hmm. Uh, a love dart only forms after the first mating. So you have to have at least a little bit of sexual experience to even form a love dart. Sure. Uh, they take about a week to form. And you don't always have to have one to mate because if you've used up your love dart and then, you know, within the week you want to go at it again. You, you can still do that. It's not necessary for reproduction, but it helps in reproduction. Uh, they form in the dart sack mm-hmm. and is stored in a dart sack. And if you look at it, it's a little, it is a little dart. It's got this little sharp harpoon-like tip. And they actually, it, it says they, they shoot it, but it doesn't like fly through the air. It's more like a they stab one another with it. Oh, I imagine it like, pew, and then just sailing a couple feet <laughs> and then sproing. That would be great. It's more like it's stabbing, but apparently it's very imprecise. Mm-hmm. Uh, this hydraulic pressure builds up as they circle and bite each other's lips, and then they shoot this thing out at each other. Mm-hmm. And it can, I think about a third of the time, it doesn't even do what it's intended to do, which we'll get to in a sec, but uh, it can pierce organs. It can go all the way through the head wow. and out the other side. Yeah. So it's it's really crazy. It's a weird adaptation. Yeah, no, it's super weird. And the the I think what's most weird about it to me is there's other animals that do that to deliver sperm. That's yeah, yeah. that's not what the snails are doing. These love darts deliver other hormones that help protect the sperm as it makes its way to the eggs to fertilize. Yeah. It's like a really clumsy, superfluous extra step that like you said, doesn't even – like, they, they miss a lot of the time. They still manage to fertilize eggs. It's just a very strange thing that they do. But it's part of this really long, really slimy courtship mating, you know, process that they get involved in. And then the, yeah. the sex itself is, like, just one rubs its foot against the other foot, and there you go. Right. And, they're, and they say, who's pregnant? Which, and they go, well, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe both of us. Yeah, both of us. Actually, can it be both? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like okay. Both both can walk away with fertilized eggs after this. Yeah, and they can lay, I think they can hatch up to 450 eggs per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when and, and that doesn't take very long, actually, right? In the gestation period, uh, it can be like really short, right? For some species, especially in captivity, it can be 24 hours. Others, it seems like the outside is four weeks. And usually in the wild, it's like two to four weeks for gestation. Yeah. And, these, and once those little guys are born, they they may immediately start eating the rest of the eggs as their first meal. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer, especially because yeah. leading up to it, it's so cute. This little tiny snail with its little tiny shell is inside its egg, and it starts tapping its way out till it cracks through the egg. And then, yeah, it gruesomely eats its siblings very quickly. Sometimes it'll eat smaller siblings that have already hatched, not just the eggs. Ugh. What I didn't realize, though, is that some... 
And that's that's actually not all snail species. They're, that's ones that will eat eggs, but for the most part, they'll eat just vegetation. Yeah. Um, the snail parent will often stay nearby to provide protection for the, the young snail hatchlings for a little yeah, while. Yeah, they hang out for a while, right? Yeah. I did not realize that, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, they can they can hang out for up to three months together while the parents are kind of protecting them. Uh, and like you said, they're born with that little baby shell and just gets bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Did we talk about how long they can live? No, we didn't. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, I mean, in the wild, they can live up to five years, which that shocked me, quite frankly. Yeah, it really makes uh, but, you feel bad for all those snails you've accidentally stepped on after a rainy evening. I know. You, you hope at least they were old. Yeah, exactly. Like they had their time. Yeah. Uh, so five years is a pretty long time in the wild, I think. Um, in captivity, they can live up to 25 years, which is astounding. Yeah. There's a really great little short documentary called The um, Strange and Wonderful World of the Snail Wrangler. It's on YouTube. And it's about this woman who takes photos of her um, snail friends in like little miniature settings, human settings. It's really cute. And um, she talks about one of her snail companions that she's been with for like 10 years. And it's just, I mean, when you think of it like that, like snails are just so, they're off doing their own thing. They live in a world far different from ours, even though we share the same geography. It's just a different world. So when you cross paths with one, you're like, hey, alien. And they're probably like, hey, giant alien. And that's it. (laughs) The idea that they're there in that same patch as long as you are in some cases when you're like, if you live at a house for 10 years, a, a snail might have lived there just as long as, as you did for the same time. Like you shared that with them that whole time. It's, they're not just yeah. anonymous, generic animals running around. They're, they, I mean, anything that lives that long, there's just something more substantial to it than, than you would think initially. Are you saying a snail has a soul? I think it's pretty clear, yes. <laughs> All right, so snails are doing their things. I love this account that Allison found. That was a scientist from Pittsburgh's Carnegie Museum of Natural History uh, that said snails are leaky bags of water that survive on dry land. Yep. Uh, and it almost sounds like they're saying, like, they happen to survive because it, it, it doesn't seem like a snail was really made for that environment, but they survive anyway. Mm-hmm. Because snails really need to stay moist. Like a snail drying out, uh, just like a slug, means certain death. So even though there are snails in the desert, you're mainly going to find snails in more uh, moist areas. We're going to say that word quite a bit. I apologize. Yeah, I was going to say, unlike humans, moist is a snail's favorite (laughs) word. It really is. Uh, They do live on the ground mainly if they're terrestrial snails, Mm -hmm. but uh, they can live in trees. Uh, but they really like it uh, down there on the ground in that sort of uh, moist outer layer of decaying plant matter. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty active at night because things can get uh, wetter overnight, mm-hmm. as we know, like when you wake up with like morning dew and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're just down there on the ground, sometimes eating meat and other snails and other eggs. But generally what they're doing is eating and munching down on that either decaying plant matter or uh, if you have a garden, they will also munch down on your nice new fresh plants. Yeah, and as we'll see that they run afoul of gardeners for that reason. But just hold your horses, gardeners. Put your your rubber mallets away for a second until we get to that <laughs> part and talk you That's out right. of it. But in that leaf litter layer, they do a lot of really important stuff. Um, they, they are in charge of, like, recycling um, – Plant matter, decaying stuff. They love decaying everything. Um, Mm -hmm. In addition to live plants, too, they love dead plants. And when they're doing that, they're like recycling nutrients. They eat that stuff, they break it down, and they poop it out. And that means it's bioavailable in the soil for plants to use, for other animals to come along and like that, like to lick the dirt, that kind of thing. They also are really important in the food web because. Calcium is not really easy necessarily to come by in food, um, at least if you're like a, a small, like an invertebrate or a mammal or something like that. If you eat a snail shell, you get a burst of calcium. So it's, that snail shell is really important. And then they're also chock full of protein themselves. So they're like a really important part of any food web in the ecosystem that they live in. 
Yeah. They're also moving stuff around down there. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, plant matter and that outer layer that just sits and sits isn't great. Uh, but if they're, if you've got thousands of snails moving around through it, mm-hmm. it's going to help drainage out. It's going to help keep distributing those nutrients. Uh, if there's, you know, it can help move dirt and clay even. That's very important. Uh, all that stuff is great. And they can actually help pollinate too. Uh, some of them are nighttime pollinators. Uh, they get in there with that plant nectar. They eat that stuff, and then they poop that out as well. Yeah, pretty crazy. I had no idea that they were pollinators. It just makes them even more important. You know what I mean? Totally. So I think, Chuck, we take a break, and then we come back and talk about why you should leave the snails alone. How about that? Let's do it. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, friends. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. Like, what are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood the best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Yeah, well, now it is, everybody, on Homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. <laughs> So um, one thing that we said earlier, Chuck, was that uh, snails run afoul of gardeners. And the mm. reason why is because they will, I mean, they will eat a lot of plants. The, the burgundy snail, also known as the Roman snail, the one that's mostly used for escargot these days, mm-hmm. they weigh 20 grams-ish as an adult, but they'll eat six grams of plant matter in a day. Yeah, You have a bunch of burgundy snails running around your garden. They're going to eat your hostas. They're going to eat your seedlings. You're, they're going to tick you off. And so there's a lot, of, um, a, a lot of animosity that gardeners have towards snails and slugs too. Um, and so they, people have been trying things to get rid of snails for a very long time. The problem is, number one, you don't actually want to get rid of snails, especially native snails or common yeah. garden snails. And number two, the methods typically used are chemical, and they can harm other life as well. Um, yeah. So there's you basically want to leave the snails alone as, as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, there is some information here that um, Allison got from the Royal Horticultural Society in Britain. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, don't use chemical pesticides, please. Like, if you want to get rid of your snails, you can try and do so naturally. By uh, introducing predators, uh, I guess, you know, you could throw a bunch of garden beetles out there and see what happens. Sure. Just say whoever whoever walks out of here alive is, 
you know, deserves to live. It's like the <laughs> thund- Thunderdome. Exactly. <laughs> uh, two enter, one leaves. As a matter of fact, if you're bored, just go ahead and build a small scale replica of the Thunderdome Thunder and put the snail in the beetle in. You sicko. That's right. But then you have to uh, act like Tina Turner and use that voice when, hello, raggedy snail. That's what you would have to call it. <laughs> there you go. That was a great impression, by the way, Chuck. Thank you. In addition to um, putting them in a death match against beetles, um, you can go pick them out yourself. If you go out at night with the flashlight, you can pick um, pick up uh, plenty of snails. The thing is, you put them in your neighbor's garden. Yeah, exactly. Especially if they're a jerk hosta grower, they'll really yeah. drive them crazy. <laughs> now, what you want to do is put them on your compost pile because, again, they like decaying yeah. stuff and they're really useful. So they'll be pretty happy there. Um, and uh, you can also trap them by carving out like uh, melons or grapefruit or something like that, and they'll be attracted to that. And it's just basically acts as a trap. You just throw it back on your compost pile the next day, and there you go. All right. Um, some people do say you you. Some people still use um, pesticides. If you're if you're organic, you use ferric phosphate, which it interrupts their ability to di- to digest, so they die of starvation in a few days. There's another one called metaldehyde. That is hardcore stuff. It, it desiccates them. They end up dehydrating to death. And it's banned in the EU because they consider it unacceptably harmful to birds and mammals. Of course it is. Here in the U.S., you can use it as much as you like. Of course you can. And they use it for the giant African land snail in particular because, again, metaldehyde is hardcore stuff. And it turns out that the giant African land snail is hardcore snail. Yeah, it's a hardcore snail. Obviously, would be an invasive species here in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the big ones, the one that looked like a bunny, I thought. Uh, it can be eight inches long. They eat more than 500 species of plant. They will eat everything in its in their paths, uh, including uh, in Florida. They're a real problem in Florida, apparently. Yeah. Uh, they will eat the stucco off your house uh, to get more calcium. Mm-hmm. And they can pass disease along to people uh, and animals. Yeah, rat lungworm. Yeah, meningitis. Uh, I've seen that they're um, they can carry a host of uh, parasites, or they can host a host of parasites. Wow. Uh, some of which will is is you know good for the snail because it keeps uh, animals from eating them. So it's like a defense mechanism. Right. But that can be harmful to people at times as well. Yeah, yeah, you don't want rat lungworm. Like you said, it, it can create meningitis in humans. So it's best to not really handle snails with your bare hands, and especially don't eat the snail alive from your garden. That's a really bad idea. Yeah, but people actually collect, uh, and I'm not sure if that's how they got here, but people collect these, you know, as an illegal pet, these giant African land snails. That's my understanding, that they were imported as illegal pets, at least to South in Florida. The world. Are people doing? I don't know, but they also have been have shown up in some other places, including Hawaii and Polynesia, and somehow they got from Florida to these places, probably through the illegal pet trade. And so, um, in just typical human fashion, in the fifties, people said, "Well, wait, there's this this snail called a rosy wolf snail, and it's a predator. It's a little Ooh. literal snail predator." Yeah. Let's just import a bunch of them to take care of this giant African land snail because I'm sure nothing will possibly go wrong because of this plan. It's foolproof, and that's what they did. And as a result, Hawaii has lost almost all of its native snail species in the wild because the rosy wolf snail was like, I, I'd just rather eat these other kinds of snails and leave the giant African snail alone. Yeah, these things are pretty creepy, though. Uh, I imagine there, there's got to be some kind of uh, Nat Geo video of the wolf uh, snail, like, you know, following its prey because for a snail, they're moving pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, when they're tracking something, they go double to triple their normal speed. They will go up a tree after something. Mm-hmm. They will go underwater after something for a little mm-hmm. while yeah. until they need to come up. It seems like they're just tenacious little fellas and they will go after something until they catch it. Yeah, and they like to swallow other snails whole, including their shell. <laughs> wow. And there's a malacologist named Harry G. Lee 
who dissected a rosy wolf snail and found 13 other snail's shells in its gut. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. It's like uh, in, a, in a Louisiana state license plate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you don't want these things on your beautiful, pristine island. And once you bring them in, they're going to cause all sorts of problems. And that's what that goodbye snail video was about. It's definitely worth watching. But the rosy wolf snail is definitely considered invasive. And what I didn't know, Chuck, is the common garden snail, um, the one we're so familiar with, is inv considered invasive in the United States. Um, Cornu aspersum, poof. That is the common garden snail, and it was mm -hmm. originally imported because it was the one that used to be escargot, and some of them escaped from farms and set up shop in the wild, and now it's called the common garden snail because it became so prolific. Yeah, and they don't know when people started eating uh, escargot, and I think escargot is is the French name for that edible snail and also doubles as the name of the dish. Right, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Like uh, French fries. I think it's both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, people like this stuff. It was always, you know, growing up, you always heard about escargot. It was like this, you know, sort of as a as a kid, the the first fancy weird food you'd heard of probably. Like do the wealthy have no bounds kind of right. thing? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then, you know, we've got all signs. Should we finish up with just a bunch of kind of cool factoids? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, jewelry, uh, snail shells have always uh, or have long been used as jewelry for humans. It's some of the oldest known human jewelry. They found the stuff uh, like necklaces and stuff made of uh, sea snail shells that date back like at least 120,000 years. That's nuts, man. Yeah. What else? Uh, the author Patricia Highsmith, who is a very interesting person in her own right. She uh -huh. wrote uh, Strangers on a Train and the Talented Mr. Ripley novels. She was a snail pal, like the snail wrangler in that video right. that I talked about. Yeah. Uh, and like the snail wrangler in that video that I talked about, she would go out in public with her snails as companions. Uh, there's a story of Patricia Highsmith at a party who, who was revealed to have dozens of snails in her purse uh, who she brought so she'd have someone to talk to, her snail friends. Yeah. How about that? How about that? <laughs> That's what snail people do is that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is really interesting is they've been studying how snails might uh, help us figure out Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. uh, from what I found is they've, you know, we've talked about Alzheimer's before, which is uh, when you have these amyloid plaque buildup uh, or plaques, I guess, that build up on the brain tissue. And they're, they don't exactly know how it causes memory loss, but this is what they're trying to figure out with the snails. Mm -hmm. uh, these plaques are formed from a protein called amyloid beta. Uh, which we've talked about, or a beta, and they have taken a beta and put it on otherwise very healthy pond snails. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I have no idea why they chose, like why they thought it, the pond snail was a good candidate to they begin with. Terrible lobbying group. Maybe that's what it is. But they put this a beta on these healthy pond snails, and within 24 hours, they they show evidence that they have have harmed their memory, basically. But the the finding is that they haven't found any uh, damage to the brain tissue, like no cell loss, no no brain tissue damage at all. Hmm. So basically, what they they have sort of you know the result of all that is that a beta by itself can trigger the memory loss, and it's not from like damage to the brain or like a deterioration of the brain or the it's, plaque it's, buildup, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They think it's like a specific. Uh, pathway for memory that's being damaged and Man, not the brain itself. Thank you, pond snails. I know. It's it's amazing. I also saw it goes the other way, too, that the co common garden snail's mucus has been found to be bioactive as an anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and anti-apoptic, which means it prevents cell death. Oh, wow. So they think that they, they're figuring out how to turn that into a drug to treat Alzheimer's, too. So snails are just coming at us with the one-two punch to battle Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. God bless them. I love them. it. Speaking of God bless them, if you're uh, subscribed to the West African Yoruba religion, you would say God bless the snail because they're associated with Obatala, the Sky Father, as well as the Orishas, collective deities to whom the land snail, the giant African land snail in particular, is sacred. Oh, I got to read this last thing. This is the only last thing I got. Okay. This Nigerian uh, snail recipe. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm not into eating snails. They call this Congo meat. <laughs> uh, it's got red pepper, habaneros, okay. uh, garlic, onion, All right. and then it's seasoned with cayenne and ground crayfish. Yeah, you lost me at habanero, but it does sound extremely interesting. I, I would try it. I'd just be like, can you leave the habanero out? Too hot. Too hot. Yeah. Too hot for the hot tub? Uh, yeah. Too hot yeah. for TV. Uh-huh. So um, I've got one more thing, Chuck. Let's hear it. Uh, there is a weird thing that started popping up at the end of the 13th century in northern France. If you look through illuminated manuscripts, meaning manuscripts that have the doodles in the margins and all that, mm -hmm. like a mad magazine. Yeah. You will start to notice there are pictures of knights battling giant snails. Oh, yeah. That's so interesting. And they it lasted for like 100 or so years is like a trend. It actually came back again for a little while in the 15th century, and no one has any idea what they were trying to say. <laughs> one of the theories is that it was just hilarious, that it was meant right. as like kind of comic <laughs> relief while you're reading like this kind of heavy text or whatever. You just look over and you're like, that's a knight battling a snail. Right, yeah. Other people say that, that snails symbolize something like superhuman strength because they carry their house on their back. I kind of yeah. poo-poo that one. I like this, the comic relief one. And people are just like, hey, this is funny. Look at this. This knight's <laughs> fighting a snail. Yeah, this will be good for a laugh, said the medieval monk. Very interesting. I say so, too. So if you want to know more about snails, everybody, go forth, research them. You could do worse than watching the strange and wonderful world of the snail wrangler and goodbye snails. And if you see a snail in your garden, and especially if it's not doing anything to harm things, you just tip your hat to it and say, good day, snail. You could be as much as five to ten years old. <laughs> that's right. Chuck said that's right. That means it's time for listener mail. Yeah, uh, we're going to do a correction. Uh, I wish we could get this one out sooner because we're going to continue to get emails uh, about the great isotope ion. My goodness. Issue. <laughs> Which I didn't know was an issue. Uh, this, this was, we got a lot of them, but this is from uh, Nick Lufty, a PhD student at UC Irvine. Uh, and Nick is getting a PhD in quantum chemistry. Oh, Wow. Man, I want to hang out with you, Nick. Uh, and Nick listens uh, with uh, his wife, Dinah. Hey, Dinah. And said, can't wait till we're in town uh, for a show. But if, if you're at Irvine, I mean, Irvine, how far is that from San Francisco? I have no idea. I mean, it's in the state of California. So it's got to just be like an hour away, right? Exactly. Yeah, everything <laughs> in California is an hour away. Come see us. Uh, hey, guys, wanted to offer a slight correction about the periodic table. Don't hate me. Uh, when you mentioned the different weighted averages being a result of different isotopes, uh, you mentioned that it is the loss or gain of an electron that constitutes the different isotopes. This is actually incorrect. What you've defined is an ion, right. not an isotope. Yeah. Uh, it is the varying number of neutrons that makes up the different flavors of isotopes. This is the thing that makes carbon dating possible. I uh, love that episode, by the way. Uh, last thing, guys, uh, chemistry as a whole is a very inaccessible branch of STEM. I hated it. I failed my first chemistry, uh, chemistry class, and one day our professor was out sick, and the chair of the chem, uh, chem department came to sub in, and she implored us to get a PhD in chemistry. I said to myself, she must be nuts. Here I am 10 years later, and I am clearly the one who is nuts. Uh, the long and short of this last bit is to never give up on science. Nice. And that, again, is from Nick. Uh, I think it said Lufty, but it's actually Lutfi. Okay. Like Chipotle or Chipotle? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thanks a lot, Nick. We're, we'll call him Nick L. from now on. Yeah. Uh, that was a great one. So everybody who wrote in to let us know, we appreciate you for doing that because we like to get things right. And that was definitely a slip up. And it is something that we needed to correct for sure. So good job, Chuck, picking that one. Yeah. Well, if you want to get in touch with us and let us know we got something wrong or we got something right or tell us something about yourself or your dog or your pet goat, doesn't matter. You can send it via email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Childproofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.